Previously on Splinters of a Broken Sun, our heroes awakened from a virtual reality experience only to find that the hub was under attack, and hub themselves was offline. They are scrambling to decipher hub's instructions and get them back to business. Content warning for vomit. Maeve, should we ignore it? What do you think, Kevin? I don't know, I don't want to abort. No, I don't think that would be a good idea either. So we could be irrevocably harming Hub's personality. Uh, Retry said it would just try again and, if possible, identify the problem? Yeah. Well, it said it'll try again. You don't know if that means it'll fix it or not. It'll just try again. So you're in the Hub's core. Abort, retry, ignore. What do you want to do? Hey, Emrin ate the memories. And then she's going to say aloud, Emrin ate... Emrin, were you Mike? Or whatever. What? <laughs> now we're getting too meta. <laughs> his, his nose falls off his face. <laughs> and he dissolves into a cubistic portrait of himself. Robert, Robert, it was Robert. Why did I think Roger? <laughs> Roger, <laughs> Roger, Gandhi. Emmer, are you Mike? <laughs> Can we see? It's so this? hot inside the metaverse. <laughs> Can we see? This? It's a blooper. I'm not getting rid of it. Okay, <laughs> let's take that again. Okay. <sighs> she turns to. Emran and says, "Were you Robert?" <laughs> you gotta be kidding, Roger. Roger what am I Were you the kid? Do you know the Candyman? <laughs> okay. Turn. Okay, one more time. She one turns more time. around <gasps> in a complete three sixty until she's facing Emran again, as if the last couple things didn't exist, and says. Were you the pizza guy, Roger? Yeah. Maybe. Seemed like a storybook at the time. It was a weird dream. A scattered dream like a far-off memory. Far-off memory like a scattered dream. Uh, do you think that, hmm, Emron, I don't want to connect you to anything without asking you again. Emron, um, turns his head slightly and says, nah, man, I'm down to try anything once. Oh, I mean. And his eyes glaze over. <laughs> Would you, it gonna sound weird but we could try to like move those memories that you absorbed over to hub almost as if to hint something zone and barfs again <laughs> lean is looking on at this with just the most baffled expression emran emran spits up on his shirt <laughs> <laughs> yeah man plug me in and he blinks a lot. Oh. Can I even see that, though, with the helmet on? Do you have the... 
mask thing on? Oh, it's for this purpose, I would say he has taken it off and it is in his mighty man pocket. Okay. Could have phrased that better. So, uh, yeah, I imagine uh, Keva's hair has disconnected from everything and it's hanging loose. So, like, the side of her that has the broken arm connects into Emeryn. Because, like, she'd rather have him have the injured than Hub, because... Anyway. So, but this time, instead of, like, connecting into his chest, it, like, she connects into, like... The stomach? I was thinking more, like, either the wrist or the forehead, but... No, he just opens his mouth really wide. <laughs> she does not want to put her hair in your mouth. That's <laughs> oh, like a xenomorph. Ugh. It's like some weird, weird, like, alien kinky thing. So Keva connects to Emrin in a normal way. Yeah. Yeah. And then into the hub wall in a normal way also. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to, who wants to press retry? Emrin presses it. A big fat rhino beetle falls in the button. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. All right. So Emran presses the one that says retry on his side, and a rhino beetle presses retry on the other side. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is a ding. Blah. And you see it jumps from 80 to 100%. And uh, the screens go black, and then there's like a startup. It's like a field of beautiful rolling green hills. There's a few clouds in a blue sky off in the distance. It seems to be uh, in the startup phase. And you hear a bit of a commotion from outside. People making noises of consternation. The grinding sound of weapons being drawn just outside. So Keva and Zonin, you can see this immediately because you're already outside. Uh, down the stairs from the north come two figures. One is Mandukai, oh. and she is in her full battle regalia. She looks like she's doing okay. She's got a few scorch marks, smudges of ash across her cheek, and uh, she you know, is, is bleeding from a small cut over her eye, but seems to be ignoring that because she has someone with their arms bound behind him that she's pushing ahead of her down the stairs and she says oh hello did uh did anyone order a monster and you see governor denton young i barf <laughs> i'll bet you do uh it's all going out now keva like Oh, immediately Keva's, like, tense, and Emrin can feel it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just imagine that, like, Emrin can feel this, uh, horrible, like, this horrible, like, feeling that Keva's feeling, which is, like, this angst pit in her stomach, and she's immediately, like, her good hand has flown to her, uh, poncho, and almost tries to, like, pull it over her as much as she can while it's hustling. Mm -hmm. Gotta be honest, man. That don't feel good. Do my insects see that? Yeah, of course. We're gonna get another for the horde, and then the entire swarm is gonna be converging on the core. 
You can hear and feel the sounds of skittering. The three spiders that were on the roof make their way over towards where uh, Mandukai has now reached the bottom of the stairs with the bound Denton. He has got tucked under his arm a white sheet. And uh, looking at all of you, he has still got that that deep, deep arrogance that he always has on his face as he's looking at uh, all of you gathered here and the six other people from Lean's group and the shattered uh, and disabled robots. And he is trying to maintain his dignity as he unfurls, like he's, he's holding it under his arm here and his hands are behind his back. So he's trying to like shake out this sheet so that it uh, flops down over his arm. And he says, I came all this way to surrender. The least you could do is accept that I come in peace. <laughs> Does, is Emran aware of this in any way? You can hear it. Um, it I, am I disconnected from Keva? I think you're still connected, but you have a bit of, you know, tether if you want to move. Emran drops his shield just on the ground. Everyone hears that and start, walks out to be with and he puts his mask on. Okay, you, you see him there. He looks he looks fine. He doesn't look like he's been injured. So that kind of lends credence to the idea that he immediately surrendered because otherwise I mean You've seen what Mandukai can do. And Zonin, you've seen what he can do too, so maybe. Oh. Emran walks to the front of the group and, like, just gently shoulders through people. Yeah, they look over at you and they make, uh, make some space for you to go by. Emran just uh, can see through the mask in a 360 degree radio, but just. <laughs> Looks down at Denton, I assume, because they're much bigger. Yep. Walks all the way up. Be right in front of him. He doesn't flinch. He looks up at you, still defiant. Turns his head once. He stoops and picks up the, the white flag. Unconditional surrender time. Unconditional is a strong word, but we can start from there. You'll want to hear me out. You might be surprised to hear that I do. I never took you for a fool, so... Emran, like, inclines his head up. Thank you, Mandukai. She has a very stern look on her face as you... Remember, she knows Denton well from their childhood. The, the thank you is meant to impart. Thank you for uh, not cutting his head off. <laughs> yeah, she, she gives you a nod, and you're able to convey those thoughts to each other through your body language. Um, so Denton is looking around saying, are we going to stand here all day? This is pretty important. 
I wouldn't have come if it weren't. Cool. You can come meet the ghost. Oh, lovely. I've been looking forward to meeting Hub. Emran makes a mental... Emran will not forget that. <laughs> Emran will remember this. So, uh, Denton... Denton steps forward and moves to step around you and walk over towards the hub. He's still got his hands bound behind his back. Keva immediately, like, steps in front and, like, of him and is gonna say, you're not going anywhere unless we give our say-so. And she kind of, like, looks it up at him and tries to be as intimidating as she can be when she's, like, way shorter. Uh, he rolls his eyes. Very well. He just looks at you. May I? What? You can clearly see I was headed towards the meeting with the hub that I just discussed with your compatriot. You're not talking to them unless they want to talk to you. Okay, well, bring them out. Keva, like, does, like, one of those little pings in her head to hub, like... Uh, so you can hear the sounds coming from the core. There's another one of those bing, indicating that the startup sequence <laughs> that the startup sequence is complete. Uh, Maeve, you can see through your bug eyes still inside there that the walls are now back to their usual state. Um, the majority of the gems on the wall that was covered in gems are green now. Only a few are yellow and a few are red. And Hub uh, appears in the middle of the core in their usual multicolored guise, turns towards the open door, opens their mouth, and the only sound that comes out is a blood-curdling scream. Which reverberates throughout the entire hub. And we will pause there for today. Oh. Well, thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Splinters of a Broken Sun, an actual play podcast using the Fate Core system. I was joined today by Jason. Yo. Jason, where can we find you? At, sorry, at Singing Chemist on Twitter or underneath my gigantic dog. Very well. And you play Zone and Chan. Yes, thank you. We're also joined by Michael Blood. Hi, everyone. I broke it. I, I, broke, I broke the game. That's all right. Uh, Michael plays Emron Pock. I sure do. And you can find me at Good Sir Blood, but I'm not feeling too good. And we are joined by OG Brown Sugar. Hello, everyone. I'm OG Brown Sugar, and I play Maeve Sentis, a Metapod. <laughs> and finally, we are joined by Keekers. Hi, uh, I play Keva Jarma. You can find me on various places on the internet as Be a Space Cat. Uh, and I hope that this hasn't ruined your day. We're possibly close to the holidays. So, uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays, everyone. And space, space squids. Space, space squids. squids. Space squids, I think. <laughs>
And now, please stay tuned for the short story, Den's Gambit. Content warning for descriptions of burn injuries. The proto-auditor sat down on the new landing pad at the spire, right in the center of Bodhi, and thus at the bustling heart of Gov's domain. The twin turbines wheezed and smoked as they powered down, filling the air with a smoke only slightly lighter than the perpetual night. Coughing, Denton Yang pulled the cockpit release. Coughs and curses collided when the hatch opened partway and then stalled, leaving him trapped inside with all the flashing red lights that had long since left his temples pulsing painfully in time. When pulling the release several more times did not improve the situation, Den roared and yanked the release with all of his strength. Finally, it gave way. The cord, that is. The cockpit did not move. With a renewed barrage of curses, Den wedged the naked blade of his sword into the opening and pushed upwards, gradually levering the cursed hatch open. The stubborn metal squealed like pigs at slaughter, but gave way. Panting, he fell out of the hatch and onto the hard yellow concrete below, landing heavily on his elbow in a way that would no doubt leave a bruise. He felt at least two lacquer slats snap when his side hit the ground, which was even worse. He'd only just bought this binder, and now it was ruined. Muttering darkly, Den slowly pushed himself to his feet and limped toward the spire's entrance, using his sword as a cane. Each step hurt, but he refused to stop moving. This was going to be a debrief that no one would ever forget. Sun Minister de Winton kept Den waiting for nearly two hours standing painfully in front of the minister's conclave at the top of the spire. It was a petty move, and they both knew it. De Winton was eager to learn the outcome of Den's mission. Neither success nor failure were particularly palatable to Den, and the sun minister won either way. The young governor of Sector 3 passed the time examining the fine text carved into the massive seven-pointed star of the conclave table. Each point of the star was inscribed with the entirety of a book of the audits and accounts, though unrelevant to that minister's position. The text was too small to read with the naked eye, and had Den not known what he knew now, he would have been convinced that those minuscule letters were the work of magic. The point farthest from him, snaking into the darkness at the back of the chamber, contained all of Book One, from the fall of the old gods to the threat of a new emergency. The sun minister would sit there, when he chose to arrive. Den hoped the other six high ministers would come too. Only three of them were needed for de Winton to get what he wanted, but Den had a feeling that the sun minister wanted this to be as public as possible. The thought made his mouth tighten into a small smile, and he gripped the hilt of his battered sword all the harder where he held it before him, tip driven into the ground between his feet. The high ministers filtered in at last, speaking amongst themselves in low voices. Ignoring Den, they took their seats at the tip of each arm of the star, leaving only the sun minister's chair empty. Den studied their faces. None met his eyes or even acknowledged his gaze. To his left, fifth minister Liu and sixth minister Yo chatted quietly, while seventh minister Akande appeared to be studying a ledger. To his right, 4th Minister Layani studiously ignored 3rd Minister Guo's endless chatter, 
and Second Minister Fawn stood silent and grim as Den himself. All present and accounted for. This would be quick, then, and decisive. Sun Minister de Winton arrived, and only Den seemed to see him coming. The high ministers were focused on their own conversations, and, to be fair, de Winton was very sneaky. He was putting on a performance of being engrossed in a report, but a careful observer could see that his eyes were not focused on the page. Den's eyes stayed locked on the ancient man's face as he approached the chair, more of a throne, really, at the head of the table. Duinton allowed his robes to brush against each other, oh, so softly, and the table quieted immediately. Young Governor Yang, croaked Duinton. Have you left your prisoner outside? Den felt his eye twitch involuntarily and cursed the display of weakness. The sun minister's dry lips stretched into a mockery of a smile, threatening to split his papery face in half. Den only barely suppressed a shudder at the fresh memories that evoked. No prisoner? Very well. Perhaps you have brought this alleged map, then. Or some of the tainted blood of these heretical youths. Do turn it over at your leisure, young Denton. We are in no hurry. Den didn't move. No twitch this time, but the storm lurking in his gut grew more powerful with each measured breath. <sighs> he tried, and thought he succeeded, to keep the gathering clouds out of his eyes. The boy destroyed the map, and a faction of the XCOM interfered with the blood collection. His voice was even, perhaps a little dead, but that was better than panic or fear, or shame. The boy... Dewinton rasped. He raised both brows and gave Den a flat look. All of the high ministers turned their graying heads to fix the youngest governor in history with the same significant stare. Den struggled to keep his face still, fought down the hot flush of rage and frustration. They still thought of him as the boy, even now. Their thoughts were as loud as their voices were silent. He felt that pull again that insistent concern tugging on his gut. Not yet. Den forced himself to meet each high minister's eyes in turn, those who would face his golden gaze at all. One by one, they found excuses to look down at their notes, or at each other, or just at the wall, ceiling, or floor. Pathetic. They were weak, old fools, as Den already knew. Most of them had not been in the field in decades, if ever. They were slaves at best, and monsters at worst. They were soft and out of touch, and they dared to judge him. Once they were all properly subdued, he looked to the sun minister, who alone matched his intensity. How long had this one sat the throne? How long had he cheated death while sending others to a fate even worse? He was long past his expiry date, and yet he kept going kept living, in defiance of the natural order. Den had learned much these past years, sneaking into secret archives and sending agents to copy or liberate restricted documents, while this confederacy of dunces thought him to be bumbling about and failing in his duties, and more recently in the Badlands. Granted, he was failing in his duties, the ones they expected of him at least, just not in his own duties which he had discharged with ruthless efficiency until... 
A muscle in his jaw clenched, and he had to look away from De Winton's icy blue eyes. Until Lean ruined everything. Again and again. Her and her little band of brainwashed thugs. The sun minister smirked, certain he had brought Den low. Lean. Always lean, taunting him, refusing to live anywhere but the back of his mind, distracting him, tormenting him, refusing him. She should have been his greatest ally. But instead he had been forced to do all of this alone. The pull again, stronger now, more insistent. He grit his teeth. Soon. Too soon, really, but recent events had forced his hand. Very well, Denton, De Winton pronounced at length, victory welling in his voice, barely contained behind his strict decorum. I am disappointed, but hardly surprised. You have failed us once again. The high ministers looked up again, buoyed by borrowed power. What they lacked in conviction and courage, they made up for in servility. And when their master grew strong, they reflected that strength, though it was a watery reflection at best. Cruel smiles grew on almost every face, and they all reached for their seals, except Seventh Minister Akande, who continued to read. We had a deal, child, De Winton continued, taking up his own seal emblazoned with the seven-pointed star and pressing it to the inkstone before him. He drew a precious paper proclamation from a drawer and smoothed it over the etched surface of the table, bending over it briefly to ensure that everything was in order, ready to be sealed. The pull strengthened, nearly yanking Den off his feet. He dug his sword in deeper, anchoring himself. This was your final chance, and once again you disappointed me. And by extension, the church and Gov themselves. It pains me, but you are no longer of any use to us. And furthermore, you have become an embarrassment to the organization. It is time for you to go. The sun minister pressed his seal to the bottom of the paper without any further ceremony, then passed it to second minister Fon. He did all of this without moving his gaze from Denton's. His smile widened ever so briefly. Permanently. Den said nothing as his death made its way around the table. He did not move, forcing fourth minister Layeni to walk around behind him to pass it to fifth minister Liu. He heard Layeni's breath catch. Fear? Perhaps. They knew how dangerous Denton Yang could be. It would be swift once Seventh Minister Akande pressed their seal to the proclamation. The spire would open, the crystal pillar would surround him, and the fires of Gov would consume him where he stood. He would burn to ashes and be wiped from the face of this world. His soul would spend the rest of its cycles crushed under a mountain of debt so steep that even Ramulus would balk at climbing it. He felt his mouth quirk ever so slightly at the thought. Whatever had happened to that hunt, anyway? He found himself hoping that they had somehow escaped, had survived their journey into the heart of a splinter. The surprise he had left with Carla should be activating any time now, and if they were alive, well, that would be a boon. It was a shame they had not returned to him, but if they had learned anything like what he had learned from the things that fell to earth, he could hardly blame them. For him, it had been a traumatic experience. When the sun died, Denton felt its agony. 
He cried out, falling to the ground and sweeping all of his notes and tools from the huge desk in the Sector 3 governor's compound. He heard the cacophony of their fall distantly as if through a body of water. His eyes filled with blazing light and then darkness while his body raged with a sensation he'd never felt. Burning. He convulsed for what felt like hours, but was, according to his aid, only seconds. When it was over, he lay gasping on the ground, soaked in sweat with steam rising from his skin. He felt cold all over and could not control his body. His aide struggled to get him onto the couch in the far corner of his office, where he often slept these days, and called for help. Two guards rushed in to assist, and Den wasn't so addled that he did not notice the smirk on one's face and the fear on the other's. Several minutes passed before he could speak again. He gave his orders and the compound burst into action. Messengers set out for the semaphore towers with dispatches for the hunt, and Den's personal carriage was prepared. By the time the news reached City 3, Denton was already on his way to a large sunfall days outside of the domain, alone except for his aide and one guard. He'd brought the smirking one. Better to keep him nearby, where betrayal would be more complicated. Den had recovered, mostly, by the time they reached the minimum safe distance. The pillar of smoke and fire and dancing rainbow lights pierced the newborn darkness of the world here, casting shifting shadows across the parched earth. He left his escort at the periphery, donned his bulky protective suit and helmet, and set off for the center of the storm. To say that the journey had been difficult would be an understatement. Each step was a battle and the raging winds and strange lights assaulted him at every moment, never relenting. By the time he reached the eye of the storm, his protective suit was in tatters, and he was clawing his way forward, inches at a time. The strange, squid-like creatures swirling around the crater largely ignored him as he rolled, gasping onto his back. One or two hovered over him, lights that reflected the flashes in the sky rippling up and down their bodies as tentacles tipped in claws and fire waved over him and pulled away. In those first minutes, he could not have stopped them if they had wanted to kill him, but fortunately, they simply drifted away, floating on the air like butterflies three times the size of a person. His helmet's visor had shattered long ago when a flying rock slammed into his face, and he pushed the ruined mass of glass and metal off his head. Here in the eye of the storm, he could see all the way to the sky. Or rather, all the way to the ruined sun. It had followed him, even now. Even when its light was gone and it was no more than a corpse hanging in the sky, it had followed him. He didn't know whether to laugh or cry, so he did neither, and said opting to throw up, only just barely turning onto his side before the torrent of bile erupted, soaking the soil next to his head. Then groaned trying to spit the bitter taste out of his mouth with little success, then rolled to his back once more and sighed. You just can't leave me alone, can you? He croaked. If it weren't for you. A grimace passed over his face, unpleasant memories playing behind his eyes. Dan forced himself to his feet and began stripping the remains of the protective suit from his body, wishing he'd brought his long robes but knowing they would have been ruined as well. He wore a simple purple tunic and black pants with only a minimum of gold brocade and jewels on each, and kept the sturdy brown boots from the suit, just in case the ground got too hot closer to the point of impact. Fishing his sword from the wreckage of his laughable protection, he straightened his tiara, pushed his black hair back out of his eyes, and strode towards the center of the crater. 
The squid things parted around him as he approached, seeming to watch him with curiosity more than hostility. The earth glowed a sullen orange and red here in the crater, smoldering but not burning. The air was not as hot as he had expected. In fact, it grew cool as he approached the epicenter, and then cold as he stood amidst the splinter that had fallen to the ground. Frost rhymed the strange shapes littered around the ragged hole in the ground. Den shivered, awkwardly hugging himself. This wasn't right. One of the creatures flowed too close and he stumbled, quickly putting out a hand to catch himself on one of the pieces of debris. He cried out as the jagged shape exploded in light and set the ground at his feet aflame. Blind and startled, he stomped until the fire went out and his vision returned, but the debris continued to glow, though no longer with such a blinding light. Every few seconds, the shape drizzled a few despondent sparks from one side. Den caught his breath and reached out to touch it again, shielding his eyes this time. The sparks briefly intensified to a torrent, and he heard a voice speaking in a language half-remembered before the damaged side blew out and the light disappeared entirely. Den looked around at the field of debris, searching for something that looked like... anything, really. He began reaching out and touching every object he passed. Most did not respond. A few more exploded in showers of sparks, and one... groaned. Den paused, looking more carefully at the shape beneath his hand. It was a person. Well, it was most of a person. It was horribly burned and broken, and only the top half of the body seemed to be intact. But a single, strange eye met his, and Den recoiled. Memories of fire and cracking blackened flesh flooded his mind. Father. No, this wasn't Jacques. This wasn't even Kazma. He forced himself to look the person in the eye again. Horrifyingly, they reached a crumbling hand towards him. Swallowing his revulsion, Den took the hand in his, delicately, trying not to crush the charcoal remains of flesh. The eye roved over Den, then focused back on his face. Ruined body took a labored breath and began to speak. Each word seemed to take an eternity. <gasps> Did you do this? Not this time, Den replied. Who are you? How did you get here? Uh, an investor. Don't know. Explosion. You... Denton Yang, Governor of Sector 3. I came to see what fell from the sun. Ah, oh, donor. Den narrowed his eyes. What? Shame. Would have been a good replacement. Young, strong, healthy. Can't down here. Den looked up at the dark sun, then back at the blackened body. You're from... the sun. Their lips cracked into a smile, splitting his cheeks and revealing distressingly pink and red fissures beneath the skin. <gasps> Probably 
deserve this. Good luck. Dan felt something hard and cold in his palm as the papery hand slid away. The eye lost focus, then rolled up slightly. The mouth slackened, closing some of the cracks and opening others. Dan could feel the last vestiges of life leaking from the body. He grimaced. You can't just die! You have to explain this! he demanded, shaking the corpse. It did not respond beyond crumbling further. Furious, he stood and turned away, looking up with fire in his eyes, glaring at the sun. Den raised his sword, pointing at the misshapen heart of Gov, and yelled, Who are you? What do you want with me? He slashed with the blade, cleaving through a hunk of debris, and then another and another. Sparks flew and fires roared to life and stuttered out in moments. What are you doing to my world? It was then that he felt the cool shape in his hand grow warm and begin to buzz, as if it were filled with bees. Startled out of his fugue state, he opened his palm and gazed down at what appeared to be a blue seashell. It buzzed again, but this time he recognized words in the vibrations. Greetings, investor. It has been 3,680 days since your last induction. Your platinum warranty entitles you to three donor credits every 500 days. You have 22 donor credits. Would you like to view the catalog? Den stared. Was this... a daemon? From the sun? He swallowed, licked his lips, took a deep breath. Yes. When Den emerged from the dying storm to find his aide dead and his cart gone, he carried with him both relics from the sun and the weight of terrible knowledge. The timetable would need to be accelerated. Seventh Minister Akande accepted the proclamation, but did not immediately put seal to paper, as the other high ministers had. Akande studied the text carefully, then gave Sun Minister de Winton a measured look. We have invested a great deal of time and trust in this young man, and his connection to the Sun. Is this the best use of resources? The Sun Minister gave Akande a sharp look. Are you questioning the will of Gov? Denton has betrayed that trust time and again through his failures, and Gov's heart is now broken. Clearly his connection availed neither them nor us. The cost far outweighs the gain. Akande held the ancient man's gaze for several more long moments, hand hovering, uncertain, over the seal. Denton began to wonder if he would have to change his plans. The seventh minister sighed, then sealed the proclamation. This is a waste. De Winton nearly snatched the paper from Akande's hands, then rolled it up and stuffed it into a golden tube. This he placed into a slot on the desk, where it was whisked away to lower chambers. Almost immediately, the crystal pillar slammed shut around Den, open at the top to let the fire in from the tip of the spire. Not long now. Farewell, Denton Young, De Winton said, and turned his back. The spire irised open, and flames began to build in a halo visible across the city. The sun minister was saying something, no doubt preaching some hypocritical tripe. 
The high ministers nodded along, all but Seventh Minister Akande, who kept his eyes on the doomed Denton Yang. Den looked back at Akande as the heat intensified, and gave the high minister a rare smile. As the pillar filled with fire, High Minister Akande finally understood. They pushed to their feet, chair crashing to the ground. Sun Minister de Winton whirled, irritated at the interruption to his lecture, and then his eyes widened. He could read Akande's lips saying, Gov have mercy on us. Den watched through the flames, which did not deign to touch him. Fire did not harm Denton Yang, because Denton Yang was fire. He placed his hand on the wall of the pillar and clearly, carefully spoke to the terrified Akande. Gov may, but I won't. The pull came one final time and Den let it take him. He rose up through the pillar as the fire raged, up through the open tip of the spire and into the sky where the sun waited far above. The tip of his foot alighted on the rim of the fiery halo and he felt something strain and snap in the sun. The eighth splinter fell, and so did Den. As the collapsing spire buckled under the weight and fury of this splinter of a broken sun, Den watched the walls flash past until his descent abruptly stopped, arrested by the unforgiving arms of the proto-auditor's armor. Its engines were nearly done, but there was enough strength, he prayed, to carry him from the scene of his greatest crime yet, he still had one more stop to make before the end. The spire was in the center of Bodhi, the capital city of Gov's domain. Den could hear the screams already, as the symbol of the church's might fell on top of its faithful. Den closed his eyes and let the fires within burn away his grief, his guilt, and what tears he had left. Better this than the alternative. Better this than another moment of the travesty that passed for life in Gov's domain. The church would live on, of course. The governors, the bureau, the auditors, the notaries, the people themselves. It was a shame, but they would need guidance. They would crave a man to speak for the sun. Someone with a connection to Gov. Den had such a man in mind. Someone young, strong, healthy. Thank you for listening to Den's Gambit. This story featured the voice talents of Velvet, who you can find on Twitter at OG Brown Sugar, Kyle, who you can find on Twitter at Lord Kyle K, and me, who you can find on Twitter at Ycaliber. Until the next time, all the best.